everybody, welcome to the Live Full Podcast. My name is Cassidy Bonar, and I'm one of the board members here at Live Full Ministries. Live Full exists to help followers of Jesus feast on the Word and be filled with the Spirit. We're so excited for season two of the podcast, and we're releasing a handful of sermons to help you live full in Christ. This sermon was originally recorded at Mercy Church, who has given us permission to use the audio. Liftful Ministries is a registered nonprofit that is made possible by listeners like you, and we are so thankful for you. If you've been helped by Liftful and God is moving in your very heart to support this ministry, you can go to livefull.org backslash give. A few months back, I was sitting with my wife. We were watching a documentary that probably most of you have watched or many of you have watched. It's called Free Solo. So in Free Solo, a man named Alex Honnold, he uh, decides to climb one of the most difficult rock climbing feats ever. It's called El Cap. It's in California without any ropes, any safety harnesses, nothing just to go up alone. And he ends up making it. And um. Day in, day out, he shows up. He breaks an ankle. He shows up to train. He gets discouraged. He shows up to train. He's gritty day in, day out until this great feat of getting to the top of El Cap. And then he's just gutsy. He just goes up, no rope, and he handles it. I remember watching this documentary, the final scene, like I'm sweating myself just watching this guy. And I get off the couch and I just, I'm thinking to myself, like, man, what if I could do something like that? And you know, then I had another thought right after that, and I realized there's a reason I can't do something like that. Because the first time that I rock climbed, I wasn't at El Cap. I was at like a 10-foot manufactured artificial wall with my Skechers on, with a rope around me, with a little safety net in an AC-covered room. And I remember just climbing up and thinking, there's nothing fun about this. In fact, after I got off that 10-foot wall, I remember just thinking, my hands hurt. So I didn't see El Cap. I didn't see the glories of what was to come. And I didn't even feel like getting, giving myself to the kind of grit that that would take. I feel like so often in our prayer lives, one of the reasons why we struggle to pray is because our experience of prayer is kind of like my experience on that 10-foot wall. You know, it's safe. There's nothing gutsy about it. We don't see a great reward. The reward we see in prayer is about as dull as a gray AC-covered room. And we get out of prayer and we think, well, that just kind of hurt. That was just kind of hard. Well, I think this morning, Jesus is going to meet us in our difficulty in prayer, and he's going to show us El Cap. He's going to show us the glories that are to be found in prayer, and he's going to welcome us encourage us, invite us into the kind of gritty and gutsy endurance that it takes to experience those glories. We're going to be in Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 5. And over the course of this text, Jesus is going to answer a few questions to get us into the kind of gritty and gutsy endurance it takes to experience the glories of prayer. See, we're going to ask, how do we pray? First question we're going to ask is, how do we pray? Who do we pray to? And then what do we pray for? How do we pray? Who do we pray to? And who do we pray? And what do we pray for? 
Let me go and start in verse five. Jesus starts and he says, and he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. See this, Jesus is setting up a parable for his disciples to encourage him to pray. He just got out of the teaching on the Lord's prayer where it showed the heart of prayer. And now he's gonna show them how to put it into action. And he starts with a parable and notice that he says, which of you? The modern translation for this could be like, imagine if. He's putting the disciples into the story from the perspective of the asker, of the one knocking on the door. And this is really important to get because this parable, it's not about the person who's on the inside of the door. You get that? It's not about the person who's going to be answering the door. It's all about the way that Jesus wants us to ask. And if you notice in the passage, he says, which of you will have a friend and will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for I have nothing to set before my friend. There's a couple characteristics you notice here. We're gonna come back to this. But first he sees that I have nothing. I have nothing. And second, he says, lend me three loaves. He knows he has nothing and he knows that his friend has what he needs. The parable continues on, verse seven. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. So he's pulling the kid card. Like, hey, don't don't wake up the kids. You want to be the guy that's waking up the kids after I just put them down? He's playing that card. He's saying, hey, don't don't bother me. Now, notice a a really important detail here. He says he's going to answer from within. So he doesn't open the door and let his friend see him. The door is shut. And remember, it's all about the perspective of the asker. The one who's asking, all he sees is a shut door. And maybe you've been there in your time of prayer. You know, I've, I've knocked and I don't see anything change. I've knocked again and I don't, I don't really see anything move. And I hear God's voice telling me to pray, but I don't see anything. What you need to know is this is how Jesus is setting up the parable and he's setting it up this way for a reason. He knew you were gonna be in that situation and here right now, he's going to encourage you. Look at verse eight. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will get up and give him any, anything he needs. So not because he's his friend, that didn't do it. He was, a, he was a friend enough to be called a friend, but not enough to wake up the kids. But his impudence, meaning his shameless audacity, he came back and he knocked again. He came back and he knocked again. This is gutsy. So he's saying, hey, if it wakes up your kids, so be it. If you're bothered by my prayer, so be it. I will not stop knocking until you open this door. I'm not gonna stop. I know that I have nothing and I know you have what I need. So I'm not gonna stop until this door opens and you give it to me. This is shameless audacity. This is gutsy grit. And look at what Jesus says in verse nine. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Okay, look at what just happened. Jesus, 
the one on the other side of the door in prayer says, yep, follow his example. He just told the story of an annoying asker and then commanded us to do the same thing. He says, I want you to ask. I want you to seek. I want you to keep going until you find it. So we don't have a bothered friend on the other side. We actually have someone who's given us full permission, welcomed us to keep knocking, keep asking, keep seeking. See, what Jesus is calling us into here in our prayer lives, he's saying, hey, don't give me those one-knock polite petitions. I want door-banging, gutsy, heave it all, waking up the children, breaking the middle of the night kind of prayer. That's what he's calling us into. You see, how do we pray with gutsy grit? How do we pray with gutsy grit? This is what Jesus is calling us into. Don't be polite. Don't give a little friendly knock like we're tempted to do. No, I want you to wake up the kids. I want you to keep going until you have the things that I've asked of you. See, if Jesus gives us, if Jesus gives us the green light on this kind of gutsy prayer, then why is it that so few of us pray this way? He's told us, hey, no, 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 I want you to be loud. I want you to keep knocking. Why is it that we're so prone to stop? And I think it's because we don't have a couple of key elements that are found in the story of the friend. Remember, it said he had nothing, and it said that he knew the friend had what he needed. He had desperation. He had desperation. See, here's the difference. Casual prayer, casual prayer says, if you don't, I'll make do. If you don't, I'll make do. God, I want this, but if you don't, I'll be all right. God, would you give wisdom and discernment, but if you don't, I'll just lean on common sense. God, would you move this mountain, but if you don't, I'll just go around it. God, would you give me joy? Would you give me hope? And if I don't, if you don't, I'll just lean on my career, my family, or other things of the world. See, we come to God with casual prayer and say, you know, if you don't, I'll make do. But you see what's wrong about that approach, casual prayer. See, if we make do apart from God, we miss out on what God can do. If we go around the mountain, we may be able to get through, but we miss seeing God move it. If we lean on common sense, we miss on the word, the specific guidance the Lord wanted to give us. If we make do apart from God, we miss out on what God can do. But even more importantly, we miss out on God himself. If we go our own way and God's not in it with us, if he's not the one providing the joy, the peace, the hope, then we miss out on him and his presence. You see, not casual prayer is what we need. Not if you won't, I'll make do. We need gutsy prayer. And gutsy prayer says, I won't stop until you do. Not if you won't, I'll make do. I won't stop until you do. God, if you're not going with us, we're not going. If you don't move this mountain, I can't get around. If you don't go give us wisdom and discernment, my way leads straight to death. God, if you don't come and save, we're all going to perish. That kind of gutsy prayer of throwing it on the line on the other side of that is receiving the joy 
of seeing God's answer. You see, the asker, the asker came boldly with gutsiness, with grit, because he knew that he had nothing and his friend had what he needed. But you see, we as believers have so much more reason to come to God with this kind of boldness because the person on the other side is not just our friend, but he's our heavenly father. This is where Jesus continues in verse 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father? See, God, uh, Jesus in this parable, those first few verses, he's calling us to be like the persistent asker. But in these verses, he's showing us the portrait of the one who's on the inside. See, the one who's on the inside, he's not a bothered, annoyed friend who sees our persistent asking as an inconvenience. He's a generous, attentive, available father who loves to hear his children knocking. He was appealing to us and he's saying, hey, how much of you would give evil in return for good to your children? You know, they ask for some veggies and you throw down some poison, right? How much of you would return evil for good? And his assumption is, hey, no, no, you wouldn't do this. So would the heavenly father do that? No way. You see, in fact, if you think about it, not just does God not return evil for good. In fact, what God has done for us in Christ Jesus is the opposite. The Father has returned our evil for good. See, we spat in the face of our Father. We turned aside from Him and went our own way. We looked at all of His generous provision, every tree in the Garden of Eden, and said, No, nah, I want the forbidden fruit. We turned from His smiling face and we chose our own path of darkness away from His presence. We spit in the face of our father and then Jesus bent down and washed our feet. We gave God evil and he gave us good by sending his son to cleanse all of our sin and wash it away and make us right with himself through faith in Christ Jesus. God, actually, he didn't give a serpent instead of an egg. He did the opposite. He gave us an egg instead of our sin of serpent. He was good. He was gracious. And that's the kind of father that we're praying to. See, when I, uh, when me and my wife, we had our baby daughter, you get, you parents, you know, those first months of sleep are precious. You don't want to mess with that sleep. And so anytime Ruthie would go down for a nap, we'd put a, a note on the front door and it'd say, hey, please not quietly newborn inside, or something to that effect. And yeah, you, you would always know who really got it um, when they would knock on the door, right? Like we'd have some college students come over. They're like, I don't know, just doorbell, you know? They, they have no idea like, hey, this is life or death. Like we're hanging on three and a half hours of sleep. Like I will, yeah. So they didn't get it. They didn't get it. But you knew parents who came over, like they were like breathing on the door, not even knocking and just being like, they'll, they'll hear my breath. They'll hear my breath. Um, and so you knew, you knew who read the note and you knew who knew who was inside? See, when God hears 
loud banging prayers, prayers of faith, prayers of persistence, prayers that match how great of a God he is. When he's on the inside and he hears loud knocking, he knows they read the note and they know who's inside. He knows they read the note that he's a generous God who it's his good pleasure to give the kingdom. He's a generous God who made all of creation in six days and said it was good. He's the generous God who gave us his son. And if he gave us his son, what would he spare from us? He knows that we read the note and he knows that we know who's inside. We know that the person inside is generous. He's not annoyed. He's available. He's not busy. He's willing. He's not hesitant. When he hears faith that match his character, he says, they know, they've read the notes and they know who's inside. You see, some of you, uh, you need to see first this, and this will encourage your prayer life more than anything. Who do we pray for? It's our generous God. Who do we pray to? It's our generous God. This is who you're coming to. Because I think some of you, you come to prayer and you think that the parable portrait of the friend inside is really the person that you're praying to. That when you show up and knock at the door, they're just tapping their foot and saying, come on, really? Like I helped you out yesterday and now you're going to come back to me again with the same problem? Like you needed strength to watch your kids and care for them well and now you're coming back to me again for the same thing? Come on. Look how you're inconveniencing me. These, these sins that are still hindering you, like we talked about this five years ago and you're still coming to me with these same things? Come on, do you know that my attention is limited? And do you know how much what you're doing is disappointing me? That sounds harsh, but that's the narrative that we play of who we're talking to in prayer very often. And instead what Jesus is saying, no. He sets up the annoying friend to, or the annoyed friend to contrast with the good and loving and present father. He's available. How much more? He puts the most affectionate and available and present and lock-eyed dad to shame. And he gives that to us, all of us, at all times. He sees you. He's ready. And guess what? He wants you to knock more than you want what's inside. He wants to hear your voice more than you want to hear his. He's your loving Father, he is a generous God. Now, some of you guys hear this and you think, well, actually, I did ask for a serpent. I did ask for a serpent and I got an egg. Or I, got, or I did ask for a, a fish and I got an egg and I asked for a scorpion and I got an egg and I asked for good things and what I got in, in return was evil. Like I asked for good and what God gave me was not good. So, I want to tell you a story. When Kelly and I moved to Charlotte, very shortly after, uh, the Lord brought us into a time of really intense spiritual warfare and darkness. It was a prolonged season. And in the middle of that, I had never had an experience like that where I knock for something I know Jesus wants and I see a shut door. I had never in my walk with Jesus seen that yet. And so I knocked and, and there was a shut door. I was, we were praying, God, like, we want deliverance. I know that not only you can, but you want to. Like, I see Jesus doing this all the time. God, we need joy. We need hope. We need answered prayer. We need light to shine in the darkness. And I know that. 
you're good. I know you want to give this to us. See, in the middle of all of that, I thought, I felt that I was asking for, I was asking for a fish and God was giving us a serpent. And now I look back, I look back and see that God, he wasn't answering our prayer. He wasn't giving me the fish that I was asking for, but he was giving me so much better. He was giving me something so much better. See, what I wanted in the middle of our suffering, I wanted relief. And what God wanted for me was renewal. See, I wanted to get out of my circumstances. And God wanted to get into my heart. I wanted God to send an answer from heaven that would fix my problem. And God wanted to send his spirit to fill my heart. See, it's not that I asked for an egg and God gave me something worse. I asked him for an egg and he shouted, no. And I replied, how could you? Your word says that you give eggs, right? How could you? And what I didn't see was that he said no to the egg because he was giving me a carton. He was giving me far more than I'd ever desire. He gave me his own presence. Now, I don't know where you are in your asking. Maybe you feel like you're asking for good things and God is giving you bad things. And listen, I don't want to say that I have an answer to your, all your problems. I don't have a fix right now for all your problems, but I have something better. I can give you the promise of his presence. The promise of his presence. God wants to be in this with you. He wants to walk with you through it. I can give you the promise of Isaiah 43 too, that you walk through the water, yes, and you'll go through the river, but it, it shall not overwhelm you. You'll go through the fire, you'll go through the flame, and you won't be burned because the promise there is, for I will be with you. I will be with you. But you know what God gives us in our suffering, what he gives us is more than his presence with us. He gives us more than his presence with us. He gives us his presence in us. He gives us his presence in us. This is what he, Jesus says in verse 13. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Holy Spirit to those who ask him. See, this changes the whole way that you read the parable and the promise of Jesus because this is capping off the passage. What did Jesus want us to ask and seek and knock for more than anything? He wanted us to pray for the greatest gift. He wanted us to pray for the greatest gift. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is what he wanted us to pray for. See, maybe, maybe you're reacting to the end of this sermon kind of like I did, okay? So Jesus often traveled around and he taught his, uh, his sermons many times, like a lot of preachers today do. And so he had different kind of uh, wordings at times. So if you look at Matthew, um, if you look at Matthew 7, verse 11, there's a different account of this same passage. And the account says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, 
how much more will the heavenly father give good things to those who ask him? And then you have in Luke 11, it says, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And guys, I got to tell you, about a few years ago, I'd have those two options out before me. And I'd say, hey, I like the Matthew 7 kind of promise. I, you know, if I can, the Holy Spirit, I, can, I already have him. I need him to be saved. And so I've got that. But good things, like I can pray for really any, like I think that a lot of things are good. That opens up the banquet of pretty much me asking anything that I consider good. The Holy Spirit, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. But I was like, I'm holding on to this Matthew 7 promise. Good things, Lord, good things. And I got to tell you, after what the Lord has done in my heart over the last year and a half, I, I know the, that God's word is necessary in both of those accounts. But I think what almost the Lord is showing us is if you have Luke 11, you have Matthew 7 included. See, in the gift of the Holy Spirit are all good things. In the gift of the Holy Spirit are all good things. So much of our asking would almost be unnecessary if we asked for the Holy Spirit first. You see, if you want, you want wisdom from the Lord and discernment, Ephesians 1, I, got, I pray that God would fill you with the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. You want hope, Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. You want God to move in your friend, in your family? There is no greater power than the Holy Spirit filling you to boldly proclaim the gospel. See, the Holy Spirit answers so much of what we would ask for anyway. In fact, even when we don't know what to pray, like Ruthann mentioned, if we don't know what to pray, Romans 8 says that the Spirit intercedes for us and shows us what to pray. And John 14 says that the Spirit brings to remembrance all that Jesus has taught us. See, in the Holy Spirit, we have the greatest gift. And guys, this is the El Cap. And maybe it's that we're treating prayer like a 10-foot rock wall because we've actually only been looking for the good things and not the precious gift of the Holy Spirit. Because when you experience his goodness in prayer, you want to come back. When prayer is a meeting with your sweet and satisfying God, that's what's going to bring you back. You knocking for that thing that you want, that won't bring you back over the long haul. What'll bring you back is knowing that God is there. He's there. See, I used to, I used to look at my prayer time, coming to my prayer time, I used to look at God as the waiter. You know, I'm, I'm gonna come into prayer and I've got a list and God's gonna show up at my table and I'm gonna get to ask him what I want for and hey, let's hope he brings it out right. God's the waiter. And what the Lord has done in my heart is that he's turned it so that God's the date. God is the date. When I show up at the table of prayer, it's like coming to prayer or coming to meet at a meal with your spouse or with a great friend. It's like you just enjoy their presence. You just enjoy being with them. You enjoy thinking back on the memories and thinking together for what's to come. You're caught up in the laughter of just being with your friend, with your spouse. And then after a while of just enjoying it, you're like, 
oh yeah, I had to, I had to talk to you about that thing. You actually have to remind yourself to bring up the logistics. You have to remind yourself to bring up that thing you had to talk about and ask. And that's what the Lord has done in my heart when I come into prayer is, God, I'm just glad to meet with you. I'm satisfied with your presence, which is, by the way, not just promise for me, it's promise for all of us. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. I'm satisfied with you. I love talking with you. And then, oh yeah, I got to ask for this. But when my asking comes from the overflow of my joy in his presence, in the overflow of receiving the greatest gift, it changes the way I ask. Because I ask with boldness. I knock again, but I say, Lord, I desperately want this, but if I have you, it is enough. If I have you, I can have joy in good times and bad, in good circumstances and bad circumstances, in suffering and abundance. I can have joy when I have you. So here's what I want to ask you. What will it look like for you to pray with gutsy grit? What will it look like for you to pray with gutsy grit, to come into prayer and say, I am not going to stop until you answer. It's not, if you won't, I'll make do. It's, I won't stop until you do. There is nothing more motivating to pr thing to pray for than the person of the Holy Spirit. Let me talk to some of you who have been going to church for a while. I feel like so often we settle in our knowledge of God. We settle in our experience of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Oh yeah, I know God. I've been walking with him for years. Yeah, I pray. We pray before bed and we pray before church and we say our prayers. Yeah, I've got the gist. Like, this is like, I've been in this for 20 years. I want to encourage you that if that's your posture toward the Lord, you're not looking at the Spirit. You're not looking at El Cap. There is so much more for you to have. When you taste grace, you want more. When you taste the sweetness of the Spirit, you just want more of his presence. And if Elijah was able to give a double portion of his Spirit to Elisha, how much more should we ask of more of the Spirit's presence to the God who says he gives the Spirit without measure? But we settle. I'm good. Don't make do apart from God because you're gonna miss out on what God can do and you're gonna miss out on God. Pray with gutsy grit. What does it mean to go into prayer with no ropes and no safety harness? To fling it all on the Lord and say, I trust you and I'm gonna pray in a way that says, I won't do if you don't move right now. What is that gonna look like for you? And I wanna encourage you to start with asking for more of the Holy Spirit. Start with the greatest gift. And he will lead you into asking more of God than you would have ever imagined. You see that Ephesians 3, now to him who was able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think according to his power at work within us. Ask first for the Holy Spirit and he will lead you to ask much for God. And I wanna to talk to you in this room who are not walking with Jesus. Maybe you claim to be a follower of Jesus, but your life you kind of use Jesus as a tag on to your otherwise content and self-independent life. Or maybe you've turned away from him and you're just angry at God and you don't want anything to do with him. And maybe it's that you've been brought to this position because sometime, maybe it was way back or maybe it was yesterday. You asked God for a loaf and he gave you nothing. 
and you got mad and you called it quits. See, what you're trying to do is to ask something from God apart from relationship with him. And guess what? He loves you so much more than that. He's not going to be a genie who just appeases you as you go on your way to death. No, he wants more for you. He wants relationship with you. He's not going to just give you a freebie and then move away. He's not going to just get you, give you a handoff. He wants to hold you. He wants you. And so my encouragement to you who aren't following Jesus and you've cast away him and you've cast away prayer is not that you're asking for too much. It's that you're asking for too little. You're asking for a fix and God wants to fill you with his presence. You're asking God for a sign and he wants salvation. He wants you and he will not just flip out loaves like a careless a homeowner, just flip it out to the needy apart from saying, hey, come into the home. Come in and enjoy my presence. So if that's you, I want you to have a gutsy prayer this morning. And I want you to ask God to welcome you, to embrace you, to save you, to transform you this morning. And I believe, and this is my gutsy prayer, is that God can do that this morning. I believe he can save you out of your complacency into intimate relationship. I believe he can save you out of your sorrow into satisfaction in his presence. And it's all not because you're gonna get yourself together. It's gonna be the opposite. It's gonna be you confessing that you can't and receiving the salvation that Jesus purchased for you on the cross and in his resurrection. All you need to do is believe. That's your knock. That's your knock. If you're not a believer, I have one thing for you to knock on this morning. It's knock by faith for Jesus to come and save you. And here's the promise. Whoever believes shall be saved. Whoever knocks, the door will be opened. Knock, seek, ask, and the Lord will meet you where you are. Give yourself, not the casual prayer, but the gutsy prayer. God, if you don't, I won't stop. I won't make do. I'm going to keep knocking until you answer. Let me pray for us.